Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. things going on with the Pirates. Uh, definitely, you know, some questions still to be answered. Got back in touch with our old friend Matt Caps. I've been on the show a bunch of times here. Was just up doing a, a lot of color commentating. Got got some first-hand experience of, of what's going on with the team. So I thought I'd give him a call, see what's going on. Matt, how you doing, brother? I'm doing very well. Thank you again for having me. And, uh, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. We got some exciting stuff to talk about. The Buckos are are fun to watch right now, and we got some new exciting guys uh, that we can watch and talk about. Yeah, because I mean, uh, Chris and I have been talking over the past few weeks that every single time we open the show, we almost have to open the transaction page as well, just to see who's kind of a part of this team, who isn't, who's injured, but uh, a bunch of young guys coming up and. Uh, you worked through uh, a, a decent amount of, of the bad stretch, didn't you there, Matt? I did. I did. It, uh, the Atlanta-St. Louis trip wasn't a whole lot of fun for a lot of reasons. Uh, team didn't play well. Obviously, the record wasn't good at 1-7, I believe. Um, and it was one bajillion degrees in St. Louis, and there was no AC in the visiting TV booth. So, I know I'm sounding a little selfish and cranky there, but it was hot and sweaty. Yeah, I, I saw you had to roll up your pant legs at one point in time. You made yourself a, a makeshift air conditioner with a fan and like a cup of water or something, I do believe. That's right. So somebody on Twitter actually recommended that. And believe it or not, it made a huge difference in the booth. Uh, not sure what what was going on with the AC. They got it fixed uh, for Wednesday's game. So the last day was was a little bit more comfortable. Uh, in St. Louis, but a doubleheader with it being as hot as it was on Tuesday wasn't a whole lot of fun. And I believe it was Monday night. They had a box fan, and I took a picture of it and uh, put it on Twitter. And <laughs> somebody rec- recommended put a bag of ice on the back side of the fan and an open cup of water on the front. And we did a little bit of research and, and discovered that something about the the water molecules. Um, connect to the colder air or something somebody a whole lot smarter than me yeah somebody somebody on twitter and tiktok and youtube and you can find out anything nowadays that's right yep just ask the people they know (laughs) they'll give you a good answer but um some of the stuff that that's been going on we talk about you know a lot of the good stuff and and as a former pitcher this is something that's i i know it's probably we can get to the positive stuff but i I do have like maybe a little bit of a tough question for you here. And especially like as a closer, one of the biggest things that's been going around has been David Bednar's usage. In some games, he'll be pitching like, you know, non-high leverage. He'll pitch like 13 pitches. And then 
you know, the next game he'll pitch 43 pitches. I know he pitched 50 pitches again. Uh, Shelton got a question today, and, and Bednar only had gone one inning, of course. Did well, because, you know, that's what David Bednar has, has been doing this entire year. But he was saying, you know, he he needed to just go that one inning. So, like, as a reliever, I, I know you'll want the ball, and you'll want to keep on pitching, but do you see any, like, strange usage or, you know, going for a win here, not going for a win there, and, and where, when David Bednar's used and how much? You know, that's, that's tough to really – it's a tough situation all the way around. Um, you know, David Bednar is the personality and, and mentality of, of person. Uh, the taking the ball away from him is going to be impossible. Uh, if, if he has the option, good luck. The guy's going to go out and compete and – you know, he's got incredible stuff, but that also lends itself to why he's been so successful because he's just a bulldog on the mound. Um, it's fun to watch compete, fun to watch play, and, and he's going to be successful for a long time, I hope. It, it bothers me seeing a, a guy like him, and not just David Bednar because I've gotten to know him and um, you know admire how he goes about his business and, and what he does, but uh, you know, any reliever in that situation – you don't train to throw 50 pitches. Um, you're basically asking a sprinter to go out there and run you, run a half marathon for you. And, you know, it can happen at a high level from time to time. But, you know, the, the more consistently that happens, uh, I think the more you're opening yourself up for overusage to happen, an injury or something along those lines. And, you know, it, it's it can become concerning. Um my career was shut, uh, cut short because of an injury. Uh, there's only so many miles you have on your arm. And, you know, if we're going to throw multiple innings, I think we need to train for multiple innings and in the off season and spring training. And um, I'm not saying he didn't. I, I don't recall seeing him throw three innings in spring training. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. He very well could have gone down to a minor league B game and experienced the three up downs. That's not uncommon, but, I don't know that it did happen, and I'm not privy to that information. But um, I did talk to Shelton um, after the Wednesday night game in um, in St. Louis when when David got eight outs. Um, I walked down there, and uh, Shelton had just finished with the media, and he he kind of leans over to me and he he says, "I went down into the tunnel and asked him how he felt and." He said, David punched me in the chest and said, I got this. And like when, when Shelty told me that, I got freaking goosebumps because <laughs> that's what you want to hear out of a guy that is going to be the back end of the bullpen, a closer, that, that mentality. And, you know, it, it kind of reminded me of something I would have done. And, and I'm not trying to compare myself to, to David Bednar. I think his stuff plays a hundred times better than I ever dreamed of having stuff. But, um, as as a coaching staff and you know an organization, um, we need to be protective of David Bednar and and his career, not just this year but down the line. And you know some of the usage can can creep up later on. You know it may be get into August September and we see a velocity drop, we see the dead arm. You know some of that stuff is telltale signs of of just being overused. Um, the flip side of it is it's a really tough situation for Derek Shelton and Oscar Marine to be in because 
you've got a guy that's pitching at an elite level and we've gone through a couple of stretches there where high leverage situations just haven't been around. I mean, there was not a single opportunity in Atlanta for him to pitch yeah. in the seventh, seventh, eighth or ninth inning. Um, and until, you know, that last night and in, in St. Louis, there really wasn't an opportunity for him to pitch in St. Louis. Um, if memory serves me, he did pitch in game two on Tuesday and then he came back in for 43, 46 pitches, something like that on Wednesday. Um, compound that with the travel and the heat and everything like that. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's not easy on the body. Um, so it's, it's a little bit, a little bit concerning, but, um, you know, like I said, it's a tough situation for Oscar and, and for Sheltie because you do have to find your spots to keep a guy sharp. Yeah, you can't have him coming in a blowout every single time. No, no. And, you know, if you just sit him down in the bullpen and he doesn't pitch for 10 days, and then all of a sudden you've got a one-run lead with three, four, five of, you know, any team in, in the big leagues, it's going to be hard for him to be sharp and yeah. be on top of his game. So it's it's definitely a balancing act. And um, the usage piece of it, I think they're going to have to be aware of. But it's it's hard. I mean, I... I lived it firsthand, um, especially on teams when save situations are few and far between. When you get one, you know, it's very easy to put extra pressure on yourself to convert one for the team, the team mentality, but also selfishly, you don't know when you're going to get another opportunity. It may be two or three weeks. So it's a tough situation for all parties. Stuff that's like right on my mind in the beginning is, you know, people complaining about, you know, Jared Eikhoff getting the call up yesterday, giving up 10 runs after he had given up 10 runs last year uh, with the Mets. It set like, you know, some sort of record and stuff. But with injuries, you knew it was there, but you were thinking maybe Eikhoff is a guy we picked up in the offseason we want to see if he actually has something there because he's a professional. He's been there. He's done it. Uh, that if, you know, unfortunately, if Zach Thompson is hurt for, you know, multiple weeks, instead of bringing up a younger arm, which was a lot of what people wanted to do is, you know, let's see what we have with Ikoff first and then, you know, go from there. And if he can be a, another veteran president along with Quintana, then maybe we have something. Yeah, you know, again, I'm not privy to those uh, internal conversations uh, with with the front office and the, and the coaching staff, but I, I I don't think you're far off um, with with where the team is and where they are in the cycle of, of being competitive. Um, I I don't I don't think that was a bad decision. Were expectations extremely high? Well, likely not. But to your point. What if he had a great start? And what if, uh, you know, he had figured something out and, you know, uh, there was a, an aha moment and all of a sudden I cough as a dude. And, and I mean, it's kind of like winning the lottery, right? You know, if, yeah. you, if somebody hands you a lottery ticket, are you not going to scratch it off? <laughs> you know, or if you're walking down the street and you, you find one on the ground, are you not going to scratch it off and see if you win? I mean, uh, at some point with everybody, uh, you got to see what you got, you know, and, and even if it's a guy that's not in your plans long-term, uh, again, not privy to these conversations. 
but it, you know, if it's a guy that's not in your long, long-term plans, how do you know he can't play his way into your long-term plans? And that doesn't mean that, that Eikhoff could have come up and had a great start and had and strung together five or six great starts and been a part of the Pirates organization for the next five, six years, but he could have strung together five or six starts and then he's got value to somebody else that maybe has a piece that we need. So they, I'm, I'm sure all those conversations were happening behind closed doors and um, again, I, I don't know what the deciding factor was to to make that decision, but uh, they made it. it. It didn't work out and yeah, no. They kind of know. Yeah, and and to go on a positive thing here, we got to start turning this around because there's a lot of good things going on. How cool is it for Mitch Keller to come into the season where there's a bunch of hype surrounding, you know, the fastball, the slider, all kinds of different stuff like that, and then it ends up being a sinker, which he really hadn't thrown that much before. Uh, to go along with, you know, a curveball that was, I, I actually look back at the stats, it was pretty good for him back in 2019, but it is showing just more confidence and and looks a heck of a lot more comfortable on the mound. Yeah, I, I mean, hopefully we're seeing Mitch Keller kind of come into his own, and uh, hopefully we're seeing him take ownership of his career. You know, we it's it's no secret the work he put in in the offseason trying to gain velocity everything he did, what we saw on Twitter and uh, all the social media sites with him throwing a hundred and 101 and, you know, running that fastball up in the strike zone. But, you know, at the, at the major league level, you have to be well-rounded and you have to be able to control and locate your fastball uh, unless you have exceptional movement. You know, the, take for instance, Clay Holmes, what we're seeing him doing and do in New York right now. Uh, there's no reason why he couldn't have done that in Pittsburgh. I think he was probably trying to be a little too fine in Pittsburgh. And you watch the Yankees catchers, you know, they're setting up on the big part of the plate. Like, dude, just throw it in this direction and let it move. And, and Mitch Keller has the velocity and the ability to turn the ball over where he can do that and he can get away with mistakes a little better than he can with just plus velocity on the big part of the plate. Big league hitters can time velocity. I remember Chipper Jones saying one time, I can time a freight train. You know, all, all it is is starting the swing a little bit sooner, getting the foot down and rotate. So, you know, they see 100. Yeah, it might beat them the first time, but you keep throwing it, and especially you keep throwing it in the same spot, they're eventually going to catch it. So the Keller looks like to me he's getting a little more confident with that sinker and he's getting more confident throwing his pitches, all his pitches over the plate. And another thing a sinker is going to do for him is the, the slider curveball breaking away from a right-handed hitter into a left-handed hitter. Now something going the other way is going to allow him to tunnel his pitches and it's going to give him the ability to run his four-seamer up for effect when he wants to. And he can use that as a weapon as well. So the, the sinker is basically just another tool in the tool belt, if you will. Um, but the, the best thing about a sinker for a starting pitcher is it's going to allow him to play in the strike zone and hopefully get early outs. And especially as, as good as our defense can be, um, throw that sinker away to lefties and let him hit, hit the ball to that 6-7 shortstop that's in the bird right now. <laughs> 
Are you or someone you know looking to learn how to play a musical instrument this year? Then you should be checking out Westgate Music School. Private music lessons for all instruments, including guitar, piano, drums, voice, bass guitar, violin, banjo, ukulele, and more. Are you a vocalist? Are you ready to play a musical instrument and looking to join a group? Westgate Music School offers group classes for rock band, acapella vocal, and barbershop quartet. Plus, it's all online. That's right. From anywhere in the country, you can learn any instrument you want with Westgate Music School. Gift certificates for Westgate are also available. More information, westgatemusicschool.com. I'm up here at, at Treasure Lake at, at a lake house, so I'm not even actually in the basement. I'm, I'm, I'm in a room uh, trying to keep the kids quiet, uh, but... Mike Piersack is down in, in sunny Florida, uh, going to be checking out some FCL action today. I uh, had a chance to talk with uh, Diego Castillo, and so just kind of wanted to pick his brain a little bit about everything that's going on uh, down there in Florida. How you doing today, brother? I'm doing great, Craig. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, absolutely. Not, not a problem. And before we jumped on here, we were kind of like talking about what a lot of people like had posted about and no we didn't realize like exactly how bad Diego Castillo's numbers were like outside of the home runs like when he hits the ball he's hitting the ball a mile but unfortunately if he's not it's a strikeout it's you know it's definitely not walking I, I looking at it right now he has um an OPS of 575 and OPS plus of 61. That's just not good, but he's there's there's something there he's he's trying to unlock, man. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's there are two ways that you can look at this, right? Cuz when I talked to him, he was like, you know, I feel like I'm gaining some positive momentum right now. The last couple of weeks have been great, uh, so on and so forth. And so I think what you can sort of glean from that is uh one uh home runs go a long way in terms of like turning how we think about a guy like like he has six uh eight hits this month uh and five of them are home runs and so in uh, like i said to you like when i looked up his numbers i was like oh wow like these are worse this month than i thought they were um but like because he was hitting home runs it was like oh you know he's turning a corner he's coming around but but maybe he isn't but even when i talked to him he was like yeah i feel like i'm getting some positive momentum so that might be true for him too right like the home runs help everyone's sort of psyche and the way they feel the way they feel about a player or the way they feel about themselves at the plate. Um, so that there's that side of it. I think the other side of it is like, I don't know. It's still the sort of thing where he might be a candidate. We'll touch on this later, but he might be a candidate where going back to AAA and resetting is not the worst thing in the world. Um, I don't think even entering spring training, anyone was expecting what we got out of Diego Castillo that uh, he would go off in spring training and, um, make the opening day roster and, and kind of force his way onto the roster and stick around the whole season. Like, I don't think anyone really expected that. Um, so I don't think it's the end of the world that he might have to go back down, reset, come back up later. But yeah, I mean, something's sort of got to give, and I guess we'll see exactly how long of a leash the Pirates give him. Um, but this month is, is certainly not what he would have been hoping for just overall at the plate. And yeah, the, the power numbers are great, but you'd like it to be accompanied with you know, some more walks, some fewer strikeouts, uh, some other hits uh, to speak of. <laughs> yeah, just just something. I mean, it's I, and and looking and he's made some nice plays in the field, but it's it's not been you know enough to to kind of justify those those low numbers. Some guys, you know, if it's 
if it's Cabrian Hayes and his, you know, what is it, like 14 defensive runs saved and, you know, Michael Chavis has like four, they're, they're off, all kind of up there. But, you know, if, if he's not doing that, then it's kind of, man, it's like, yeah, he may need to go back down and, and do that reset. And it's it's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, I don't know. I, I So Ben Charrington talked on Sunday um, on his radio show and basically said, like, hey, we don't think it's the end of the world if some of these rookies have to go back down in AAA for development. And people kind of lost their minds on Twitter. Uh, and we're like, oh, this means, you know, Cruz and whoever else is going down. That's not really what it means. Um, I think if, you know, if Cruz goes on a month-long skid where he looks terrible at the plate, maybe. But, um, but, but you know, I, I think that, that his point was that, like, you know, you don't want to force something in the majors if it's not clicking and just, like, keep banging your head into a wall with Diego Castillo or whoever else. That's not really productive for anybody. And so, like, in that sense, I do sort of agree with, with him that, like, if if Diego continues to struggle like this, and, and he may not even get that much longer, depending on when guys get healthy, you know him and like I th- I think of like a Cal Mitchell who's been struggling at the plate too. Um, you know, it's it's it really isn't the end of the world if they go back down. Like this happens with prospects all the time, all, all across the league. Like guys come up, they struggle, they go back down. Like even if they're top prospects, like you know, there's there's no point in just like frustrating a guy and making him lose confidence in the majors if he just doesn't have the approach right now. I think I see where Ben Charrington's coming from. Uh, now, obviously, that has its limits. I don't think that um, Castillo should go down before Yu Chang or, or anything like that. Like, I think that there are other options that the Pirates can, you know, DFA some guys or get rid of some guys or whatever. Um, but that doesn't mean that, that, that a trip back down to AAA wouldn't be productive. Tucapito Marcano, uh, everybody's, I mean, it seems like you know, when he came up, it, it was the, that all excitement and stuff. And it's like, oh, yeah, Tuca Pita Marcano still exists. Like, you know, he's he's going to be coming back too. Uh, just fans getting very excited, which is a good thing, you know, about, you know, these guys coming up and, you know, a blind Madris coming up and just, you know, hitting the cover off of the ball and, and making diving catches. Jack Sawinski, you know, three home runs in one game, diving into the crowd and making sure that, you know, the person is okay. You know, all this kind of like fun stuff with all these players and people are like, do we really want like, you know, Josh Van Meter? Do we want, you know, Yoshi back? Do we want Kevin Newman? Like, can't we just keep these young guys around? But some of them may be struggling a little bit. Like we're talking about like a, with a Diego Castillo and a Cal Mitchell. Yeah. And so like, I think the only really like way to talk about this is to try to game it out. Right. So, uh, if you think, you know, Josh Van Meter, Kevin Newman, Yoshi, and Ben Gamble coming back. So you're probably going to end up getting rid of, you would think, uh, Yu Chang, Cal Mitchell, uh, Diego Castillo go down. Cal Mitchell for Ben Gamble, Diego Castillo for one of Newman and Van Meter, and, and Chang for one of Tsutsugo, Van Meter, Newman. Um, and then you've got one more spot that you kind of have to, like, figure out there, and maybe that's Hoy Park. Um, another guy who hasn't really ever found it at the plate consistently. Um, and so there are your four spots. The one that interests me is Tucapito Marcano because he actually, I mean, he hit well in the majors, right? Like, at least comparatively to the rest of the lineup. Like, he was hitting 262, and I know it was 19 games only. Like, it's not like a huge sample size. But you would think, like, you know, if he had been healthy this whole time, like, say, you know, for, for argument's sake, say Diego Castillo had been the one to catch COVID, right? If Tucapito Marcano had been continuing to hit at that level at 260 or whatever, you would think that Diego Castillo, when he got healthy, he would stay down. Yeah. So, like, 
when Tuka Peter Marcano comes back and gets healthy, I would assume that he deserves sort of a longer look in the majors, given that they were willing to give him one in the first place and keep him up here until he got sick. And so, you know, when he comes back, then I don't know what that means. I don't know how long that's going to be or where that lines up, but like, I would rather see Marcano out there than Van Meter or even Newman. Like, I think he's a different sort of story than Castillo. Um, so again, like, I think there's two parts of that where it's like, um, you know, these guys coming back healthy, I don't think will um, mean that all of the prospects are going down. Like, Bly Madrid has hit well enough that he's he's got to stay up. I don't think the Pirates can really argue that he should be going back down. Jack Sawinski's been obviously maybe a Rookie of the Year candidate at this point. Like, he's he's got to hit better for more average to, for that to be realistic. But, um, you know, he's he's basically their best power threat in the lineup. And so, like, I don't think those guys are going down. And if they are, then that's much more of, like, the problem, I think. But there are, like, there is eventually a decision that's going to be tough. And I think Marcano is going to mark that, that, that decision of, like, I'm not sure what they do when he comes back. Cause, and, and, you know, the options there are basically, like, one of the outfielders, like Madris or Sawinski, or, like, Van Meter, Newman, or Cruz. But, like, I don't think any of those are great options. I assume they want... You know, I assume they're bringing the Van Meters and Newmans and Sutsugos back to give them a longer run of games just to say, hey, this is it. Like, show us what you got. And if not, like, you know, thanks but no thanks type of deal. So so I don't know. I think when Marcano comes back, that'll be the interesting one. But the rest of the guys, I sort of see where, they, where they're going to fit in the roster. It's not a bad problem to have. And I know that, like, I've talked about it a bunch of times, and, it's, and I know it's been out there, is that, like, with uh, Travis Swaggerty not getting, like, getting pretty much the smallest look of anybody. I mean, Kanan Smith and Jigba got a small look because he broke his wrist. But, you know, other guys, they, they, you seem to get, like, longer leashes. But it's almost like you have to, you know, hit the ground running um, when you first get up here. Just because there are so many people. And, and it wasn't like this before. And I know that it's not, you know... Sometimes it's not as exciting when, like I said, like Josh. I hate to keep on using his name, Josh Van Meter, because he was actually hitting fairly well before he went on. Kevin Newman, you know, we haven't seen for forever. Uh, but it, it's it's almost like they want to see these people, and it's like who gets a long look and who doesn't. Uh, it, it depends on you know if you can produce and if you're producing at the time. Because I mean, Jack Swinsky's got a huge long look. He was struggling uh, mightily for a little while there, uh, but then, you know, he got that longer look maybe due to some injuries or guys not being hot at the, you know, the time to bring them up. But it's it's definitely, to me, that's like the strange one. It, I, I, I don't, I hate to keep on bringing it up, but it's just very strange that Swaggerty got like nine at-bats and that was it. Yeah, I, I think... So Sawinski also has a sort of knack for getting really hot right before like a guy goes back. Right <laughs> uh, so like he's got that going for him. But I also know that the Pirates are like super high on Sawinski. They they thought um, maybe they didn't think he was going to get to the majors this year, but they they think really highly of the way he like he approaches at the plate and and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think that that sort of explains it even beyond like, you know, it's, he's obviously hit pretty well, especially yeah, for a rookie. Absolutely. So, um, so, you know, there's that side of it. I get what you're saying with Swaggerty. I think like, you know, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that like the, you know, the reason that people are mad about these moves are because 
they've seen plenty of Van Meter and Newman uh, and Satsugo. Like, even even if not, like, this season, like, over the years, right? Like, you can look at Josh Van Meter's baseball reference page and say, well, like, this isn't a great, like, offensive asset here. Or Kevin Newman and how badly he struggled last year. Like, the rope has run out on these guys for a lot of fans, fairly or unfairly. Um, and it's just, like, two different ways of looking at it where, where the fans have, like, a certain opinion. And, you know, fa- fans have short fuses, right? Like, they'll watch a guy for 10 games and make up their minds about him. The Pirates obviously view it differently. And, and you know, right or wrong, they're clearly, it seems like, uh, unless um, Ben Jarrington is, is just sort of leading us one way and he's, and he's ready to DFA guys after they get healthy, um, I don't think he is, but... You know, like if they're not, if if they really are bringing these guys back, like then clearly they view it a different way. They still think that Kevin Newman could be valuable, and maybe that's sort of like, I don't know, that might be a ridiculous sort of way of looking at it. Um, but like it seems to be that the way they're looking at it, like they've sunk a lot of resources into Kevin Newman, so I think they're just going to give him every chance to figure it out, I guess. Like, I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I get where fans are coming from and why they're kind of sick of this and why they're excited about seeing the young guys come up. Um, but I just think that the Pirates are dedicated to a longer process and they're willing to give Van Meter, Tatugo, Newman, you know, namely, more leash and just let them, you know, try to figure things out at the plate for a longer period of time. Um but then, you know, that also raises the question, and sorry to ramble here, but that also raises the question, like, what happens if Kevin Newman's successful? Like, what if what happens if he does figure it out at the plate? Like, even if he does, I still don't think there's going to be people, like, banging down the pirate store to try to trade for him at the deadline or anything. So then, like, you just still have Kevin Newman blocking a spot for some of the young guys. Is that okay? Like, are you okay with that? Like, I don't, I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what that ends up looking like if those guys actually do find something at the plate and turn it around. Like, it's just kind of a strange, like, spot to be in where everyone wants to see the kids, but the Pirates are sort of um, ready, at least, to bring back the veterans. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say.